0: So I'm very excited to have uh, Kevin Complin here. He is the, the president of the Free Church. He's here with his wife, Becky, and I hope you'll take the, an opportunity to meet him after the service. Uh, Kevin, come on up, and we've, we're part of the Evangelical Free Church of America, or we shorten it, call, and we call it the Free Church. And uh, Kevin is the president of the Free Church, so I guess we could say he's dad, and Dad? <laughs> Thanks for being here. You're welcome. Yeah. You're welcome. You. <laughs> oh well. Wow. Matt, thank you very much. And just uh, Becky and I are really excited to be able to be here. And just in the the short time we've been here this afternoon and into early evening, it has been good get a sense of your community and of what God's doing in the church. In fact, we, we just spent a good part of last week in Louisville at the Challenge Conference. And to be able to see 4,500 students and, and youth leaders worshiping, seeking God together, what an absolutely exciting time. And God is at work in so many places. And for, for Becky and myself, it is one of the real joys for us is to be able to come to communities across America and hear what God's up to. Because He's up to some pretty amazing things. And when I think about that and just even what, uh, what, what you're doing here and this new opportunity downtown and in, in, in the, in the Roshek building and that new ministry, I really believe God has some incredible things in store for your congregation here at Hope Church and the ministry in this community. Well, I'd like to take a moment and just pause and pray and ask God to speak to our hearts through his word. Uh, I had a privilege to be a pastor for almost 25 years and serve as a missionary for a decade. I love opening the Word of God. Would you pause with me? Father, I ask now that by your Holy Spirit, you would teach us the incredible truths of your Word. We long to hear from you today. The events going on in the world around us are troubling to us. And we come and we simply say, Lord, what we need is to hear from you, your word, your spirit in our hearts. So we submit ourselves now to you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, and I don't know about you, but this happens to me. There are some days that just don't turn out like I'd planned. Uh, do you have some of those? You get up in the morning, you have a plan of what your day is going to be, you get part way into your day, and it is nothing like you had planned. Several months ago, Becky and I were in a little apartment we have in Minneapolis, not far from the national office of the EFCA, and I had a major meeting in the office at 9 o'clock in the morning. I mean, it was, we, we were looking at the final interview for a major hire for us. And so, I was excited about this, been up praying, and... We headed down the hallway, down the stairs, out the door of our apartment building, and I walked out in the parking lot, and there in the parking space where my car had been parked was somebody else's car. And I looked at Becky and I said, isn't that where we parked our car? And she said, "Uh, yeah, I know it's where we parked our car, where is it? I thought, well, maybe we missed it, so we walked to another part of the lot, it was nowhere to be found. I'm quickly on the phone calling somebody else going to the meeting saying could you stop by and pick me up I don't have a car I have no idea how I'm going to get there what we found a little later in the morning is that I had not hung the little deal that goes on the rearview mirror of the car for the parking in our apartment complex they towed our car and I pay rent there and it's gone there are some days like that. Now I want you to take your Bibles and if you're going to use a Pew Bible in front of you, turn to page eight twenty two, would you? Because some days not only are annoying like that was, quite frankly, some days things are just confusing. And we're going to look at, at John chapter thirteen. If you have your Bibles, either use the one in the in the under the seat in front of you on page eight twenty two, or if you're going to use your phone or something else. Oh, turn to John chapter thirteen. Because in John chapter 13, we find Jesus with his disciples there in the upper room. This is what's called the upper room discourse of Jesus. John 13 through 16, and then 17 is his high priestly prayer. And what we find is Jesus and his disciples had just arrived in this upper room where they were going to celebrate the Last, the, the last Supper together. He was going to have the opportunity to share from his heart with his followers But what happened before they got to the room set the context for the whole evening. Because, you see, as they were walking toward this upper room, the disciples were having a conversation and doing what was one of their favorite pastimes, arguing about which one of them was the greatest. So they're walking, debating about which one of them was the most significant, and they get to this upper room, and we find in John chapter 13, verse 1, we read this. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. And it was time for supper. And the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Now what you need to understand is these disciples had been walking through the dirty, dusty, hot streets of the city. They got to this upper room, and as they walked up into the room, they noticed in the corner by the door a pitcher of water and an empty basin and a towel. But it was clear that something was missing. And that something that was missing was the servant that was supposed to be there to wash their feet. Can you see them? They walked up into that room, they looked at the towel, they looked at the basin, they looked at the pitcher, they looked around, saw no servants. And after they'd been arguing and debating which one of them was the greatest, do you think that they would even wash their own feet to say nothing of wash somebody else's feet? And so they all walked into the room awkwardly and reclined at the table. Now, to give you a little sense of the picture of this, if I could, because you need to, you need to have this visual in your mind. You see, the table at which they were having this Last Supper was not a table like you and I would have dinner at. It's not a table where you would have a chair and you'd sit on it and slide the chair under the table and you would eat. It was rather a table that was about 18 inches off the floor in the shape of a U. And all around the outside of this U were mats. And you reclined on a mat, normally laying on your left side. Propped up on your left elbow, your head toward the table where you could take your right hand and reach over and get food and eat. And guess what was extended out the other direction? Your feet. So when the text says that Jesus got up during the supper, he took off his outer garments, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water in the basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet. You have to have the picture in your mind. He was going from one mat to the other mat kneeling down, washing their feet. What we don't understand real well is the culture of the day. And that is that for Jesus' disciples to see their master, their teacher... Humble himself. No, let me go farther. Humiliate himself. That's what they would have thought. He just humiliated himself. No Jewish rabbi teacher would take off his outer garment in public to say nothing of wrap a towel around his waist, pour water in a basin, and begin to scrub and wash and dry their dirty feet. And so we get to the next part of the text. Verse 6, when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. And Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well. Lord, not just my feet. And Jesus replied, a person who is bathed all over does not need to wash except for his feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. And that's what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. I love the dialogue with Peter. Can't you see it? Peter's watching Jesus. He's going from one disciple's feet to the other. He gets to Peter. Peter looks at him. He says, You're not touching my feet. You are not washing my feet. No way. Jesus said, You know, if I don't wash your feet, you have nothing to do with me. And I love Peter's response. Then give me a bath. I'll take the whole thing. I mean, just wash everything. This is one of those times. I wish I had the DVD of this so I could see Jesus' face. Imagine. You see, I can't just, I bet he had a big smile on his face. Just like Peter, slow down here. Just slow down. Just slow down. And he washes Peter's feet. The disciples, all of this is going on in their mind, and they're trying to figure out what is going on. In fact, if you look at verse 12, keep going on in the text with me. And after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord and you're right because that's what I am. And and since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Now do as I've done to you. I tell you the true: slaves are not greater than their master, nor is their messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Now they're really confused. They've been arguing which one of them was the greatest. And then they see their master disrobe and get down and humiliate himself, humble himself, wash their feet. And then he says, now you guys do the same thing. I want you to do what I did. But it gets even stranger for them. Look at the next verse, verse 18. I'm not saying these things to all of you. I know the ones I've chosen, but this fulfills the Scripture that says, the one who eats my food is turned against me. I tell you this beforehand so that when it happens, you'll believe that I'm the Messiah. I tell you the truth. Anyone who welcomes my messenger is welcoming me, and anyone who welcomes me is welcoming the Father who sent me. Now Jesus was deeply troubled, and he exclaimed... I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Now, can you imagine the looks on the faces around the table? It was bad enough they'd been arguing with each other about which one was the greatest and that there was no servant, and they still don't understand fully why Jesus washed their feet. And suddenly now he says, one of you will betray me. And they're looking back and forth. If you look at the text, they, they looked at one another. Verse 22, and they're wondering who, who he meant. And, 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 and so what, what, you, what you see in the text is is that John, the disciple Jesus loved, was sitting next to Jesus. And Simon Peter was across the table, motioned to John, because John was next to Jesus. And just so you have the picture in your mind, John's leaning on his, on, his left, on his left elbow. Jesus is right behind him. Peter says, ask the master, what does John do? He rolls over like this right next to Jesus, and he whispers to him, Who is it? And Jesus says, it's the one who I give the morsel that I've just dipped in the bowl. And he dips it in the bowl, and he gives it to Judas. And Jesus looks at him and says, what you're going to do, do quickly go. And the text tells us that Judas got up and left, and it was night. The light of the world in the room and the darkness. But come back to the text with me. Because in verse 31 it goes on. As soon as Judas left the room, Jesus said, The time has come for the Son of Man to enter his glory, and God will be glorified because of him. And since God receives glory because of the Son, he will soon give glory to the Son. Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer, and as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I am going. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I've loved you. You should love each other. And your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Now the shock hits them. One of you will betray me. Judas gets up and leaves. They're still not sure it's Judas. They wonder if he, because he's the treasurer, he might have gone out to buy some food for the poor or to pay for their meal. And then what we just read, Jesus says, and I just want you all to know, I'm leaving. And you can't come along with me. And then just like a parent would to children, if you're you're a parent and you've left your kids at home, what do you say to them? Your mom and I are going to be gone for a while. Be good to each other. Don't don't do something that you're going to hurt each other. Be good to each other now. It's almost like Jesus says that to his disciples. And, And you can imagine in their hearts, they're like, Wait a minute, we left a career and a job and my family and my friends and I followed you for three years? And now you tell us somebody's going to betray you and that you're going someplace and we can't come along with you? And then Peter, once again, if you look at the text, Peter says, Lord, where are you going? Verse 36, and Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, but you'll follow me later. But why can't I come with you, Lord? I'm ready to die for you. And then, and then here is the, like the punctuation mark, the exclamation mark at the end of the chapter. Jesus says, die for me. I tell you the truth, Peter. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you'll deny three times that you even know me. Can you imagine how troubled the hearts of these disciples were? In the weeks prior to this, they had seen Jesus raise the dead and heal the sick and teach, and people were flocking to him. They'd just been a part a few days earlier of what we call Palm Sunday. They all came into Jerusalem, and everyone was shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Everything seemed to be going so well. And now this. And their hearts are just stirred within them. And that gives us the foundation upon which to read chapter 14, verse 1. You see, for a good bit of my life growing up in the church, I, I love John 14, to 6 Don't let your hearts be troubled. But trust in God. Trust also in me. What I didn't understand was how troubled the hearts of the disciples were when Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. You trust in God, trust in me. Their worlds had just gone upside down. We got into town and I picked up the Telegraph Herald front page America is weeping after three tragic days and the subtitle and some are left to wonder how much strife still exists in 2016 a troubled nation what's coming next Can you imagine the brokenness in the hearts of those families who have lost loved ones? Fear, anger, despair. What will be next? It's those moments when the phone rings. And it's a call that will change your life. For you see, there are annoyances in life, like your car gets towed, and then there are things that change you forever. For Becky and me, one of those huge moments happened on a on a Friday in June of nineteen ninety nine. For you see, on that Friday the phone rang in our home and it was our doctor. And she said, are you sitting down? Do you know when a doctor asks, are you sitting down? That is never a good thing. Are you sitting down? And she went on to say that the at the radiologists report for the for the lump the size of a half a robin's egg that was under the left knee of our 12 year old son was a type of bone cancer called osteosarcoma. I I made the mistake of going on the internet to look about it. You see, we were supposed to leave on Monday to go to. To Disneyland, it was the first day of summer vacation. And she said, I want you to come right to my office because we have to get him on crutches. I wanted to go. The kid's been playing Little League Baseball for three months, playing catcher. And now you're worried about him being on crutches. And she said, Monday, I have an appointment, 9 o'clock Monday morning. with a children's oncologist at Stanford University Hospital. I want you there at 9 o'clock. And it moved us into 15 months that changed our lives. 22 rounds of chemo and 26 hospitalizations, three major surgeries, including an amputation at his knee. And it brought us to the point in our lives where we came flat on our face before God. Said, Lord, my life is upside down. Where do we go? John 14, verse 1. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. And trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. You see, friends, there is something that just leaps off the page of John 14 to us. Jesus speaking to the hearts of his disciples who were troubled. Their world had just gone upside down. What they had given their lives for appeared that was totally collapsing in front of them. And Jesus said to them, I am the answer for your troubled heart. I am the answer. I don't just know about the way, I am the way. And I'm not just here to teach you truth, I am the truth. And I'm not here to point you to some kind of life, I am the life. I am God's answer. For troubled hearts. You see, friends, it's this gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news that God is reconciling a broken world and broken people to Himself through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. God's intention, we read it in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. He created the man and the woman. He put them in a garden. They were in a right relationship with him, in a right relationship with each other. They understood themselves from the eyes of God. And they understood their purpose in life. And in Genesis chapter 3, when the temptation came, they chose that they wanted to be God and not let God be God. And they disobeyed. And everything changed. It distorted and broke their relationship with God. It impacted their relationship with one another. If you read the text, they start blaming one another in Genesis chapter 3. It impacted how they saw themselves. They felt shame and they hid. They were afraid for the first time. And it affected even how they saw what God had given them to do in the world. But the Scriptures are clear. In the book of Ephesians chapter 1, that before the foundation of the world, God had a plan to bring broken, troubled people back to himself through Jesus Christ. And so when we see that, and we see that God's plan was fully realized through the substitutionary death of Jesus and his glorious resurrection that gave life and hope for eternity... And we realize that it is out of that good news that brings forgiveness and a right relationship with God and a transformation of heart. And it changes how I look at others and how I see myself and how I see God's work for me in the world. Everything is new. And part of the challenge in the world around us today is that people see life as cheap. Unvaluing of people that are different than us whether it's their ethnicity or their age or their socioeconomic position in life. And we don't see them as being precious people created in the image of God. But the gospel changes that when we come face to face with Jesus and we recognize that each individual human being is precious in the eyes of God from the pre-born to those in the last hours of their life. the message of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we are saved by God's grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone and it's recognizing that the world around us and maybe it's you today you you read the newspaper accounts you went on facebook you saw the videos Maybe you did what I ended up doing Thursday night. I happened to turn the news on in Louisville, wondering what was going on in the world, and I'm watching live the events in Dallas unfold. Or maybe you got a call from a doctor this week. Or maybe you're wondering if your job will continue or whether your marriage will survive. Or what will happen in your life? But I'm here to tell you that the same word that Jesus gave to those troubled hearted disciples is the same word he gives to us. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus said he was going away. He told his disciples, I'm leaving. But not only, did he, not only is Jesus God's answer for troubled hearts, Jesus gave us a gift that empowers us to live for him. And if you come in chapter 14, I want you to look with me starting in verse 15 of chapter 14. Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He's the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. The Holy Spirit of God. For everyone who knows Jesus Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit is God's gift, not only to be with us, but to be in us, to empower us to live lives that exemplify the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He hasn't left us alone. He hasn't left us to walk this earth and live our lives wondering, how am I going to deal with this? Where am I going to have any sense of, of, of just the, the, the peace of God in my heart? And how am I going to have the ability and the power to do this? And how am I going to even know what God wants me to do? The Holy Spirit empowers you. He teaches you. He's God's presence with you and in you. Even as Jesus is God's answer to troubled hearts, The Holy Spirit is Jesus' gift that enables us to live for him. And so in the midst of a world that seems so often to be going upside down, in the midst of a world that we wonder what is happening, Jesus doesn't leave us like orphans. You know, Becky and I found that what really got us through 15 months of the hardest days of our lives was simply clinging to Jesus, resting in the empowerment, in the presence of His Holy Spirit, and the people of God coming around us. You see, God's blessing rested on our family in many ways. I remember standing just outside the oncology department in Stanford Children's Hospital, their son Brad, a little 13-year-old by that time on crutches with one leg, no hair, frumpy little hat on, and, and there had been a girl that was in his junior high, public junior high, who had been diagnosed with some type of stomach cancer. She was at Stanford being treated, and her mom found me out in the hospital, knew I was there, she said, you have to come and share Jesus with my daughter. I shared Jesus with her daughter, who was on a ventilator, literally, in the intensive care unit. They thought she was going to die. She trusted Jesus. She was able to get out of the hospital, a woman from our Church, discipled her, and I will never forget my son Brad, 13 years of age. We're getting ready to go in for another chemo treatment, and he looked at me and he said, Dad, I've been thinking, do you think God let me get cancer so that Angela could come to know Jesus? Because she's in heaven right now with him. And I'm going. Maybe so, Brad so. And then he said, and you know, dad, what we've seen is through all of this, the love of Jesus and God and people from the church, they've cared for us. And we've seen some people come to know Jesus. And and isn't it amazing how Jesus loves us? I felt like God's gift to my troubled heart was Jesus. Jesus' gift that enabled me to even walk the walk of faith in the hardest time of life was His Holy Spirit and His people that surrounded us. And my friends, in the EFCA, we're gospel people. We're about the good news. From beginning to end, we're about sharing that in the midst of the most troubled times of your lives, Jesus is the one that's there for you, that can give you a right relationship with God and His Holy Spirit is your empowering gift and His presence with you. We're gospel people. And so my prayer for you is that you, in your own heart and life, no matter how troubling the world gets around us, no matter how difficult and divisive and broken, have you come to know Jesus as God's answer for your troubled heart? And as He gives you opportunities to tell others about Him, as the holy spirit empowers you to live for him may he grant us opportunities to tell others whose hearts are troubled let not your hearts be troubled believe in god believe also in me the words of jesus let me pray father father how we delight how we delight in the fact that you are good to us. Lord, I thank you for your goodness. I mean, even in Becky and my lives, uh, our son Brad, who we didn't know whether he would live or die, Lord, he's, he's graduated from college and married and has three kids and you're, you're blessing his life, Lord. Thank you for that. But I thank you as well for what you're doing in the hearts of people in this room. How the gospel and the message of Jesus has transformed people's lives. And Lord, I would pray if there's anyone here today who says, My life is falling apart. I desperately need Jesus. As they cry out to you, Lord, would you just envelop them and bring them into your forever family. And Lord, I do pray for those around us. Who in the tragedies and the brokenness of the last several days, they are wondering, where is all of this headed? May you give us opportunities to point them to Jesus. God's gift for troubled hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.